Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. We can look and say, well, I've done nothing really great for the Lord. But have you simply been faithful in the post and in the place that He's put you to be faithful in? Because, beloved, when we are doing what the Master has called us to do, I believe that Jesus will come and work and move through that. And it might not be our names in lights or uh, our, our name up on a platform or any other thing, but God is working and moving through us. Do you ever think about all the people who work behind the scenes? Maybe it's the person who mows the grass to make the park beautiful. Or what about a secretary who is the face of an organization? Without them, many things would just not happen. Yet often they get no recognition. Usually they come to work, do their job, and move on. Today, Pastor David will teach us that this is what the Lord wants. He is looking for people who are faithful, not for rewards or to be noticed but for the simple pleasure of doing what they have been called to do. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Then Jesus Came. in the life of Jesus, only two other places where we have this voice of heaven coming down. The first one we found on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember as Jesus takes with him Peter and James and John, and while they're up there, Jesus is transfigured, and there Moses and Elijah are standing and speaking with him again about his, uh, the coming of his suffering and the things that will be taking place. And remember, Peter, James, and John, they, they had fallen asleep. They, they woke up, they saw this thing, they were blown away, and Peter said, wow, this is awesome. Here's Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah. Let's make three tents. Let's set up a, let's set up a worship center right here. And you remember what happened? Suddenly there was clouds and the only thing that they could see then was Jesus. And a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. Oh yeah, that would have got your attention, wouldn't it? You had this great plan, great ministry center right here on top of the mountain. And then a voice from heaven says, no, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. The third and the final time that we see this is actually during the the final week of Jesus' life. He was there in Jerusalem. He had been ministering to the multitudes, and then he turned and began ministering and speaking to his disciples. And in the midst of that, he began praying. And in the midst of that prayer, he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Once again, confirmations from God the Father at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end of the ministry of his son. A father who was pleased with the work and with the life 
of his son. Luke tells us that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, here where we're looking right now, he says that Jesus was about 30 years old. See what it says in verse 23. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about the age of 30 years, or about 30 years of age. And again, in that culture, for, for the Jewish culture, 30 years of age was the time that you would be, begin ministering. It was only at that point in time that you really came of age. And so here Jesus was at 30 years of age, beginning his ministry. And then Luke gives us then this genealogy of Jesus over these next several verses. You know, it's the stuff that, for the most part, we would easily slip by. Stuff that we feel maybe ought to be put in the appendix or the back end of the book. Stuff that, you know, I say, oh, oh, and by the way, this is his genealogy if you ever want to look at it. I want to I know, how many of you have ever done a, a genealogy of your family? Look, it doesn't mean you're Mormon if you do that. It's, it's okay to do that, okay? And I know that some of you are afraid to do a genealogy of your family because you're afraid of what you're going to find out. And I fully understand that. I've seen some of the Landry genealogy, and you don't have to go very far. Okay. Well, God put these things here for a purpose, not just a space filler. David Guzik, a Calvary Chapel pastor, and he writes commentaries also in different books of the Bible. I love what he says about this portion. He tells the story of a translator who felt that the genealogies really weren't that important. He writes that a Bible translator to a distant tribe saved the genealogies for last because he thought them the least important part of the Gospels. And when he finally finished them, last of all, the tribesmen were astonished. And they told the translator, you mean to tell us that this Jesus was a real person with real ancestors? We had no idea. You see, they'd been telling the stories without the base and the foundation of the reality of his life. And with the genealogies, it shows, wow, here is the bloodline of Christ. And we can see that God had a plan woven all through all of these generations. God working his plan. God working his purpose. Some of these names may be familiar to you. Some of these names you may have never heard before. But you know what? That's just like life. We look at our lives and you might think, man, I, I'm really nothing within the kingdom of God. You don't know but that God is taking great record of your life and the impact of your life on the next generation and the generation after you. We can look and say, well, I've done nothing really great for the Lord, but have you simply been faithful in the post and in the place that he's put you to be faithful in? Because beloved, when we are doing what the master has called us to do, I believe that Jesus will come and work and move through that. And it might not be our names in lights or uh, our, our name up on a platform or any other thing, but God is working and moving through us. I don't know about your ancestors, but I would imagine that you probably have one or two branches that you'd just soon cut off, okay? You'd say, yeah, no, I don't know who that was. That's just over there on the pile, you know. The embarrassing ones, you know. Well, when we look at the family tree of Jesus, we see several of what the police department might call persons of interest, okay? <laughs> Beginning in verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, 
the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janna, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Amos, and the son of Nahum, the son of Elsai, the son of Nagai, the son of Math. That was the father of arithmetic, the son of Math. Never mind. I wasn't sure if I was going to even try that one today. The son of Mattathiah, the son of Simei, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Jonas, the son of Risha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchiai, the son of Adai. Somebody else want to read all these names for me? The son of Gosim, the son of Elmodam, the son of Ur, the son of Jose, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Elkim, Eliakim, the son of Melei, the son of Menan, the son of Mattathah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nation, the son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarag, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arapaxid, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. When we look at these genealogies, we see right off that there's differences between Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy. Not only the placing in the gospel, Matthew puts his genealogical record right at the very beginning of his gospel record. Luke waits until after the baptism of Jesus. Matthew's genealogy, writing more for the Jews, basically goes forward from the time of Abraham on through King David, and to Christ, basically broken down into three groupings, three sets of 14 generations. There's a lot of commentators that believe that Matthew's genealogical record is actually the official bloodline for Jesus, actually through Joseph, who wasn't his true father, but it became that official bloodline showing that Jesus was of the sons of Abraham. He was in the royal bloodline of King David. And this would allow, again, for Christ's position as king of Israel. Luke's record actually goes a different direction. It goes backwards. It goes backwards from Christ on through David, on through Abraham, on to Adam, all the way back to Adam as the son of God. And for many, they believe that Matthew's record was actually the record of the life and the family of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and that Luke's record was that of Mary's bloodline since Joseph wasn't the true father of Jesus. And through Mary's line then, there would also need to be this connection between Abraham and David but yet there would still be differences. But it's through both of these genealogies, I believe as we look at them, that we see that Jesus was truly and he was humanly, physically born. Luke, more than any other gospel writer throughout this record, 
throughout his writings, speaks of Jesus, the Son of Man, speaking of his humanity. Jesus, 100% human, but yet at the same time, 100% divine. How you can have two 100%s taking up the same space doesn't work in our math calculations, but it works absolutely wonderful in God's math calculations. He has that plan. Specifically through Luke this morning, we see that Jesus was born of the line of King David's throne. We see down in verses 31 and 32 those things. It says that Jesus was of the bloodline of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon. And this was King David, the one who God had promised that there would forever be someone within your bloodline who would be seated upon your throne. A prophetic declaration that God had made to David. And so now we see this genealogy work through that. This son of David that we look at, the one that's listed here, actually is the beginning of the departure between the two genealogies of Matthew and Luke. Nathan the son of David, was one of four sons of Bathsheba. He's not the one that you would have thought would be the one that God used. Solomon became the king. But if you remember the story on Solomon's king, they were, in essence, wiped out in being that bloodline, in having that role. The scepter was going to be removed from them. So how was God going to put in David's bloodline? He used a son that we don't read anything else about, Nathan. This isn't Nathan the prophet. No, this is Nathan, a son that was born long after that, that David had through Bathsheba. And now he's in the bloodline of Christ. And you know the story of Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the one who had been the wife of Uriah. Matthew brings that out very clearly. The one that David had murdered, Uriah, her husband. David murdered her husband after he realized that Bathsheba had conceived after he had had adultery with her. How many branches do you want to cut out of your family line? There's a lot of them within Jesus's. As a matter of fact, going on backwards up the bloodline, we find that David was the son of Jesse, who was the son of Obed, who was the son of Boaz. If you'll remember this, Boaz, he's the kinsman redeemer from the book of Ruth, the one that was just a perfect picture of Christ as the kinsman redeemer who redeemed Ruth and Naomi. And you can find all about these events in that book of Ruth. And Boaz becomes, again, this picture, this type of Christ. Well, Boaz's father was a man by the name of Salmon. Salmon in Jewish tradition is believed to have been one of the two slaves that Joshua had sent into the promised land. Remember when they were finally able to go into the promised land, before they crossed the Jordan River, Joshua sent two other spies in to go and check things out. And while they were there, they had to hide out in the uh, inn of Rahab. Well, Matthew puts it pretty clear. The harlot Rahab. Okay. Well, we find out from both the genealogies of both Matthew and of Luke that this man, Salmon, actually married Rahab. And so again, the bloodline of Christ goes through the life of Rahab the harlot. We see these things happening. We look a little further and we see that Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. Judah, there in verse 33, we read that he is of the lineage of Perez, who was the son of Judah. Judah, the, the lion, 
of the tribe of Israel, Judah, the strong one, all that we know about that. But yet at the same time, we read within the word that the fact of this particular son of Judah, we see within the bloodline of Christ is that man Perez. And we read back in Genesis chapter 38 that Perez was actually the son of Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah. Her husband had died, and through a whole set of events, she disguised herself as a harlot. And then Judah, her father-in-law, came in, had relations with her. She conceived and bore twins, Perez and his twin brother, Zerah. And Perez is the one who, again, continued the bloodline of Christ. As great as Judah was, he also needed a Savior to be born for him. You see, beloved, there's things in every one of our lives that we wonder why in the world this is happening, how this can be happening in my life. Can God take the bad things in our life and turn them around for good? Shake your heads like this, okay? Because as a matter of fact, his word declares that, doesn't it? That all things will work together for good. Not that all things are good. What Judah did was wrong. There's no doubt about it. What David did with Bathsheba was wrong. But yet God turned even that wrong around. Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of the sons of Jacob. And so we find that Jesus was also born of the nation of Israel through Jacob. Verse 34 shows us that Jesus comes through the bloodline of Jacob, the son of Isaac. Jacob, great man of faith, isn't he? If you know the story, Jacob was known as the trickster. He was known as the deceiver. He was known as the heel snatcher, the one who willingly bought his brother Esau's birthright for a bowl of stew. The, the one who, along with his mother Rebecca, deceived his father Isaac to be able to get the blessing that should have gone to his brother Esau. Jacob, the deceiver, is the one also who was deceived. Remember, he went to get, to, he, he fell in love with Rachel and his soon-to-be father-in-law, Laban, and told him, okay, yeah, that's fine, you can have her, but you need to work seven years. And then on his wedding night, he removes the veil, and he doesn't have uh, Rachel, he's got Leah. And he's like, well, okay, this isn't what my plan was. And so he goes back to Laban and he says, okay, yeah, you can also have Rachel, but you need to work another seven years. So the deceiver became deceived. In the midst of all of that, Jacob yet is also the one whom God said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and you have prevailed. I think it's absolutely amazing that Jesus, the one who is the truth, was born through the bloodline of the one who is known as the trickster and the deceiver. Jesus, the one who brought life to those who are dead in sin, was born through the bloodline of the one who fathered the nation of Israel. From Jacob, we continue on through the line of Isaac, the true son of Abraham. And Abraham was also the father of nations. So much could be said about all those earlier on. Let's drop down, look, looking at Shem. Shem, one of the three sons of Noah. He's the father of, of the Semitic line of people groups. 
Noah, the, the one man that was found righteous in the midst of the corrupted world, but yet we know the story also of Noah beyond the flood. Not everything was rosy, not everything was beautiful through that, but it was through Noah that God showed a picture of salvation, saving him and his family while the rest of the earth was destroyed. We get to Methuselah. He lived longer than anyone else in the history of the earth, 969 years. We look at Enoch. Uh, Methuselah's father was Enoch. And I love the story of Enoch. A very, very short story. But what does it say in Genesis? That Enoch walked with God and then he was not because God took him. I love that. And in my own mind, I, I, I pictured this story that Enoch and the Lord just on daily communion together, just continually walking and just communing with God. And one day God tells Enoch, hey, you know what? We're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you come on over with me? And God just took him on home at that point in time. The genealogy of Jesus continues on all the way to connect him with the race of man. It says that he was also born the sons of Adam. Sons of Adam. And isn't that really, when we look at the picture of Adam, the first Adam, and Jesus, as Paul says, he comes as Jesus comes as the second Adam. The one who first, the first Adam, where sin entered into the world. Now the second Adam comes and again pays for sin in order that man might have life, life eternal. And above all things, says Adam was that son of God, the son of God. And isn't that also the description that we see of our Lord, the Son of God? What an amazing heritage. What, what an incredible lineage he has. The book of Hebrews tells us that the word of God, again, in Christ, that Christ came into the world to do the will of the Father. Now here in Luke, a little later in the book, back in chapter 19, we're going to find out that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. And as the Son of God and as the Son of Man, Jesus came. He came to give his life as a sacrifice in obedience to the Father, a sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. My question to you this morning in closing is first and foremost, have you received his offer of forgiveness, that payment for your sin? He offers it to you. Secondly, if you do know him, do you Walk in a way in your life that when Jesus appears, Jesus moves active in your life, that you're ready to be used by him. That your life is in such a way that, that man, I'm about the master's work. My heart is, is faithful to the master. Oh, I may stumble at times, but I'm quick to repent and to confess in order that the Lord might be honored in my life so that when he wants to use me, I'm an available vessel, able and willing and desiring to be used by him. And then thirdly, you may be being used by him in a way even now that you can't even imagine. If you're walking faithfully with the Lord, allowing him to move and work in your life in the ordinariness of a day, God says that he is still going to move and work through you. It may not be something that you see even this side of glory. It may be something that once we stand before the Lord, again, the lives that you may touch, the people that you might encourage, the people that you could bless. Why? Because of your faithfulness, maybe through times of struggle, maybe through times of pressure within your life, you're standing strong.
for the things of the Lord. The impact of the testimony of our lives, beloved, we can't even begin to calculate this side of glory. May we all stand strong in Him and for Him and be found faithful. Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.